Let's turn our Bibles to um, Exodus chapter 14. What a beautiful song. What a beautiful song. Exodus chapter 14, verses 30 and 31. Let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to read these two verses and go get right into this. And Good midweek service. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord. It says in verse number 30 of Exodus chapter 15, um, verse four, uh, chapter 14, I'm sorry. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the, uh, upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Go over the next chapter. In, verse number four, in chapter 14, and we looked at it saying that Israel saw that the Egyptians were dead. And I think it's interesting that God showed them so it wasn't just, oh, I think they're dead out there. They saw their bodies in the, in the water. And then in verse number 31, it talks about how great a work that the Lord had done for them. But then go to Exodus chapter 15 and go to verse number 22. Verse 22, and we're actually going to look at the first 21 verses, and we're going to look at some things that are found in there. But verse number 22 says this, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out from the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days to the wilderness and found no water. And when they were come to Moray, they, they could not drink of the waters of Moray, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was called, that is, that is why it was called Moray. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Literally three days. Put it in perspective, 72 hours is three days. Well, we forget really quick, don't we? What were they complaining about? What did they need? This is not a difficult question. Go to verse number 24. What were they complaining about? What was the question? What shall we drink? They're complaining about this, but this is the same aspect. This thing that they're looking for is the thing that saved them. You ever thought about that? They're, they're wondering where they're going to get water, and the water is who killed the Egyptians through God's miraculous power. But that same aspect of water killed them, and now they're saying, where are we going to get this water? What are we going to do? We can't drink this water. And I like the word that um, Moses writes in verse number 24, and the people, what's the next word? Murmured. I, I wrote this down. I said, how long, how long does it take for us to forget? Oh, how we forget, and we forget really quick. And sometimes we get in the heat of the moment, we go, what in the world, what, how's God going to handle this? And here we have, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 30 and 31, talks about how great God is to them. In, verse number, in chapter 15, in verses 22 through 24, um, it tells about how they forgot what God had done, and they were complaining and complaining and complaining. And I understand you have to have water to survive. But if God can take care of them with the Egyptians chasing them, he can take care of them with water. That's a much smaller aspect of it than if you look at the whole picture of this. So I want to just look at some things in, in chapter 15 before they start complaining. And I want to put, apply it in our life and how we can be different. Um, let's talk about what the Israelites have been through. They have been through a mess. Um, they have spent most of their life building up Egypt. I mean, they're sitting there and they're making things for Egypt, and to this day we still see some of the things that they made. That's how long they've lasted. 
Then they, they've went through this and they've went through the building of it. Then they see the ten plagues. And they've seen the hurt. They've seen the stench. They've seen the problems. They've seen the death. They've seen animals die. They've seen, dark, they've seen all these things. And now they, they, they finally get out after the tenth one and they go to the Red Sea. And they see God do something miraculous there and, and, and the parting of the Red Sea and they walk on dry land. They've seen a lot. You ever feel like your emotions get the best of you? Because right now, in verse number, chapter 14, at the very end, you see how grateful they are. Let's look at that one more time. Go to Exodus chapter 14. It says, thus, thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Because they thought they were going to die. They could see them coming, not knowing what was going to happen, and God sent them forward. You know the story. We've read it before. And then it says this. It says, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. So they had a visual where they could see these people dead. And go to verse number 31. And Israel saw the, that great work which the Lord did. When you read that portion of Scripture, you realize the Israelites are saying it was nothing that they did, it was everything that God did. And keep reading. Did upon the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord. And believe the Lord and His servant Moses. But it's not going to take very long for them to turn. These are some miraculous things they saw. They saw the death of the Egyptian army. They saw Pharaoh, the death of Pharaoh. The future, they really did not understand. They knew that they had to get out and God had called them out and God had made this mass exodus for them and they got out. They saw God do a miraculous work, probably one of the biggest miracles in the Bible. When you talk about miracles of the Bible, Red Sea is, the parting of the Red Sea is one of the top five almost in everybody's book when you think about it. And here they get through this, <clears throat> and they just now, what are we going to do? Let's just face it, sometimes things happen in the past and we get through them, but the most prominent problem in your life is not the past, it's the present. Amen? I mean, God, how many of you, God, have brought you through something? But if there was a problem in your life right now, that problem would be the biggest problem. And here, we're going to see some things in the first 21 verses. I'm going to point out some things to you real quick. What to do when you go through a major aspect of your life and, and, and you see God work. We need to remember them. Why did God always have people build altars? Because he wanted them to remember that altar was built for a reason. There's a verse in the Bible that says, Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have established. He wants us to keep those landmarks so we can see them. If you were to go into my office behind the door, there's a, a poem about cancer. That was the poem that was set at my mother's funeral. And when I hear someone has cancer, I read that poem. It's a constant reminder of what, what cancer can do. It's a constant reminder of what we've went through. And I'm telling you, God's great on one side, but then you're going to have another problem. Because the devil doesn't quit. Sometimes we think, oh, we're going to, everything, we're going to ride this out. It doesn't use, sometimes your victories are very short-lived. And so let's look at these, verse, these 21 verses, and I want to show you some things that you've got to establish. You've got to establish, number one, the name that we use, we call God. And the, the most obvious one is we call him God. Go to verse number two. 
in chapter 15. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is, look at this, my God. Showing possession. Hold on to that. Because when you get to the wilderness and you don't have anything to drink, you can realize that God was your God then and He'll be your God now. Then I like the next part, verse number 3. Not only call Him God, but call Him Lord. This shows your position with Him. Go to verse number 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Some of us have lords in our life, but it's not God. And in this, He's establishing, hey, this is what we need. Now, with this, I want to say this. There are attributes that we can pick out with God in any situation. And in this situation, Moses tells you some of the attributes. Go to verse number 2. You want to know how you get through things? Verse number 2, it says, And the Lord is my what? Strength. What does that mean? Sometimes, Larry, I think we flippantly say, God is my strength. God is the one that's going to help you get through it. He's going to want be the one that carries you through. When, when all practicality is thrown out the window and you've got to figure out how you're going to do this, God has got to be your strength. And he not only mentions this in verse number 2, go to verse number 13. Verse number 13, Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength. Here it is again. He's saying, listen, he's not only God, he's Lord, but he's your strength. And then I like this. He is your salvation. Go to verse number 2. It says, The Lord is my strength in the song, and he, is a, he has become my salvation. I like how this is termed. It said, and he has become my salvation. Because when they were in Egypt, they were just existing. But now that God has brought them out, that is, he is their salvation. He has become their salvation. Not only this, go to verse number 6. You're going to see something else, another attribute of him. The right hand, O Lord, is, 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 is become glorious in power. Thy right hand. O Lord, hath, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. Here's talking about the power that God gives you. God is the power that we need. In verse number 7, it talks about His greatness. It says, and in thy greatness of thine excellency. Not only this, the word excellency. Isn't, aren't you glad that God's excellent? Would you rather get a report card that said, that was excellent or you could do better? Anybody ever do that? I remember when it came out that you, you weren't supposed to use red ink pens for children because it makes them think bad things. Never bothered me. I'm colorblind. I thought those things were blue or purple or whatever they were. But people write on things and if, if they wrote, it was an excellent paper, wouldn't that be a great thing? We have an excellent God. We need to be thankful for what He's done. So often we get wrapped up in, oh, look what we're going through. Here they've just went through all this. They've, lost the, they've seen a country tear down. They've seen it destroyed. And now God's building a new country. And He brings them across the Red Sea. They went through all this. They see a strength, the salvation, the power, greatness, excellency. Go to verse number 11. And you're going to see in verse number 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the God? Who is like thee? Glorious. The guy in college that would always yell, Well, glory! I mean, that's what, instead of amen, that's what he would say. Remember the first time I heard that, I thought, what in the world is he saying that for? Then you realize how great God is and His glory is there. Keep reading in that same verse, there's another word that's found in there, holiness. When you go through something, consider God's greatness 
and His holiness. Holy is a word that we don't use for very many things. What do we, what do we call holy? The Bible and God. Right? Those are some great attributes of who God is. I'm not holy. You're not holy. We're holy through His righteousness. That has nothing to do with us. That has everything to do with God. And so when you go through all these things, remember that He is great. There's excellency with, with Him. He's got holiness in Him. And He does all these things for us. So these are some attributes. But you know what I like about what, what Moses does? He wants us to see how much we can relate to God, and he does something that's interesting in this when he talks about God. Because if I were to ask you, if I were to go up to Lowell and say, Lowell, I want you to draw me a picture of God. You ever thought about that? What would you do? Anybody? What's your thought process of God? It's hard to picture that, right? But you know what, what Moses does? He turns some physical attributes and shows us how God works even in a physical attribute. Let's see some of the things he used. In fact, he uses three or four in here and, and as he's going through these, verse, these 21 verses. And it says, it says in this, go to verse number, um, number 6. It says, Thy right hand, O Lord, is, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord hath dashed in pieces the enemy. Now you've got to understand when God is, when, when, when the Bible talks about a right hand, you're not going to, how many of you are left-handed in here? Raise your hand real quick. One, two, three, four. We have a lot of people who are left-handed. You're left-handed too? Five. You're not going to like what I'm saying with this, but when God refers to the right hand, it's referring to the power arm. It's the one that his, is his dominant arm. And it says his right hand is referring to the strength that he has in there. All you left-handed people, if you arm wrestled a right-handed person, you'd probably lose. But if you wrestled them left-handed, you'd probably win. Because it's the strength that you have. I, I'm still trying to figure out what Elena is. She does different things with different hands. And, and then I think of Braden. When I see Braden, he throws me all off. Because if you ever go to a baseball game, he bats left-handed, throws right-handed. And I was taking him out, and I was playing with him one day, and, and I thought he was just joking with me. And I, and I was playing catch with him, and I said, let me throw some, some balls to you, and let, let me see if you can hit him. And he went, got up there, and he batted left-handed. I said, no, bat like you normally would. And he goes, no, preacher, I don't, I don't bat right-handed. I said, don't tell me that, just get over there. It didn't take me very long to figure out that he is a left-handed batter. He hit a few with the right hand, but then when I turned around him on the left hand, he was wailing. I mean, they were going out to the fence, bouncing and hitting the fence. You know what? He knew more than I knew. But look at the strength that it says, O right hand, that thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces thy enemy. He, only say, he also says it in a couple, couple more verses. Go to verse number 12. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Your, your power went out there and it just swallowed these people. They're remembering all these things. Not only that, go to verse number 17. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in the sanctuary, Lord, which thy hands have established. Because when we picture hands, we know what they look like. 
We see things getting done, and that's what God does. He gets things done, so He gives physical attributes. And there's a verse in here that I think is very interesting. Go to verse number 8, another physical attribute. And, and with the blast of thy nostrils. Now, I've never thought my nose was powerful. It might be big, but it's not powerful. And here God's nostrils, He says, Through His nostrils the waters were gathered together. Shows how powerful God is. It's an attribute we can understand. Verse number 16. Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine, what's the next word? Arm. See the strength in that. See, through his physical attributes, we can see who he is. And I don't ever want you to underestimate who God is. Because so, so often we say God is a man of, a, a God of love. But he's much more than that. We don't, God doesn't just get up and sing kumbaya to everybody. He also has an agenda and he also has a, has a purpose and a plan. And we see it in verse number 3. Because look what it says. The Lord is a what? Man of war. He doesn't take lightly the enemies of God. He doesn't take lightly these countries that don't like Israel. He doesn't take it lightly. We've got people in America that, oh, it's going to be okay. Do, we don't even realize the magnitude of how God tries to protect the, the, the nation of Israel. And here it says that he was a man of war. He is the one. You say, well, God is a God of love. How could he wipe out the Egyptians? He gave them many opportunities. Yet they did not want it. Pharaoh was given many opportunities, and yet he didn't want it. There comes a point where God says, okay, enough is enough. Why did he wipe out their army? You ever thought that story through? I think you've heard me say it. You want me to tell you why he wiped out their army? So they wouldn't go around the Red Sea and catch them on the other side. He took care of everything. In these first 21 verses, you see God doing so many wonderful things. You see His strength, His, His salvation, His power, His greatness, His excellency. Glorious, He's holy. You see His, his hands, His nostril, his right, his right hand, His strong hand, His arm, the man of war. But I wanted to point out four really quick, and I want you to see these. I want to show you God's judgment. Go through things, realize this, that God is a God of judgment. He's a righteous judge. He sees through who we are and shows us who, what we need to be. And go to verse number 7. It says in verse number 7, And in thy greatness of thine excellency thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. So thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. This shows you how powerful he is, but he is a... When, when it comes to God of, as a God of judgment, He has wrath. He gets upset at me when I don't do right. He gets upset at you when you don't do right. And, he, and these people have seen everything. They, they have seen, and just, I keep going back to this, what the, what the Israelites have seen. They have built things for the Egyptians. They have done their best. They, they, they were making things out of nothing. They were not supposed to make these things. Remember when Pharaoh took some of their supplies away and they still did what they could do? And they were building all these things. They built it up and it wouldn't be but ten plagues and it would tear it down. 
And then they get caught up in here and they, they don't know what to do. And then they see God bring them miraculously through there, but then they saw God's judgment and wrath. God is a God of judgment. Sometimes we don't like to look at Him that way. But He judges us. And the only thing that gets me into heaven is my salvation through Christ. Because if he were to look at Walter Wagner without the salvation and the blood of Christ, I would not be able to get to heaven. That's his wrath in there. You say, well, God is a God of love. Yes, he is. He loved us so much that he gave his own son for us. But on the same aspect of that God of love, he's a God of judgment. We've got to see that he knows what's best for us. Even sometimes when we don't. How many times have you ever heard of someone that has went into the doctors for one, one thing and, they, and, got, and, and miraculously found out something else that they could handle? Because God knows what He's doing. So when God judges something, you say, well, He just didn't like the Egyptians. The Egyptians were not going to follow Him. The Egyptians worshipped every other god except Him. And I'm sorry, if someone came into my office and said, this is what God told me to do and it happened. And then I, I sat back and I saw it. And then he came in a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time, a seventh time, eight time, nine, and ten times. And every time he said it, it happened. Don't you think we would have enough common sense to say, hey, this God has something that we don't have. But that's not what, the, what they thought. In fact, he gets so mad and his anger and his pride builds up that he goes after them. And when he sees the dry land, he's probably thinking, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. But the only thing that was holding that water back was not Pharaoh. It was God. And so when God let it go, and none of them survived. This is God's wrath. They were like stubble. They were just destroyed. You could probably almost picture pictures of the chariot, pieces of the chariots floating up to the water. And these people in, in the Israelites, their emotions have went full circle. They're thinking, why are these guys coming? They're coming to take us. Why did you get us out of Egypt? We were better in Egypt. God brings them through and then they see God's wrath. And I bring this to your attention because as we go through problems in our life, remember God is a God of wrath. Now He's not the, I like to use this illustration, how many of you have been to Chuck E. Cheese? Anybody been to Chuck E. Cheese? How many of you know what whack-a-mole is? You play this little game, you put the money in and this little mole pops up and you hit them in the head. How many moles you hit? Points for how many moles you hit. How many of you ever played that before? Okay, all right. And you say your kids are playing it, but you know you're really playing it. I'm looking over here at you too. We've got to get them all. As you, as you think about this, that's not how God is. But there are times when God has to correct us. Now with these guys, it was their life. They didn't get another chance. I can't explain God's wrath, but I know it's there but I know that God cares for me and that's why he corrects me. So we have God's wrath. You know what else we have? We have God's power. Go to verse number 10. Thou didst blow with thy wind, and the sea covered them, they sank as lead in the mighty waters. 
Here it shows his power because it shows the possession of the wind. Look what it says again. Don't, don't look over the words. It says, thou didst blow with, what's the next one? Thy. You want to try to control the wind? Can you do it? I can't. This wind that we had just recently, this storm, was it Saturday that that happened? You're not going to get out there and go, okay, peace be still, and it happened. But God can do that. He does it in the Old Testament, He does it in the New Testament, He does it more than one time. And He says, listen, this wind is the thing that held this water back, and all of a sudden you let go of it, and they all died. This is God's power. You know, I, I, I was texting a couple people in the church today about how God answered their prayers. And they both said, isn't it great how God answers prayers? I went and saw Ray today and talked with him, and he said, isn't it great how God answers prayer? Isn't it great? I mean, I'm telling you, God answers our prayer, and he has power. And we, don't, we sometimes underestimate just talking to him, how talking to him can make a difference. You know what, what talking to God does to me? It calms me down. Here's the maker of the universe, and, I'm, and I've got a little minute problem, Bernard, and it seems so big to me, and yet he's keeping the, the, the planets in orbit. He's keeping my feet on the ground by gravity. He's keeping the, the sun, moon, and stars, and he's, he's giving us the rain, which I've had enough of. Amen? We want some snow. Who said amen? Denver. Teachers in here. We want some snow. We want those kids to stay out of the school building. We see God's power through everything. But then, Sybil, sometimes we just get in a situation where we go, well, I don't know how we can handle this. How is God going to handle my problem? I've got a health, I've got a health problem. What am I going to do? The other day, I had a back spasm. I thought my back, how many of you ever had your back go out? You ever been there? You can feel it coming sometimes. I felt it coming. And my wife gave me her little electroid thing that she got at her chiropractor. And I thought, there is no way a 9-volt battery is going to help me. And so I put that thing on ward all day. And you know what? I didn't have any problems with it after it was over. Now, my wife didn't tell me that I shouldn't put it on high, but I thought the, be the, be the better, the, the bigger, the better. And I had that thing cranked, and there's a couple times like, you know, I was stuttering, it was hurting so bad. And I thought, how can a little 9-volt battery do what it does? How could it have so much power to do what it does? But we serve a God that's much bigger than 9-volt battery. That the winds are, listen, it's His wind. It's His wind. He's the one in control of it. We've got God's judgment. We've got God's power. And thank God we've got God's love. Talked about His wrath, but you know what? He has His love in there. Go to verse number 13. Thou in thy, what? It's the next word. Mercy. Thou in thy mercy. We don't show much love very much anymore. We don't. I went to a 
I went to two boys' basketball games yesterday. During the game, one of the players yelled at, the, at their coach, which she was a girl coach, and actually she was a great coach. And then at the very end of the game, he, he told her to shut up in the, when they were shaking hands. And you know, usually when I go to these games, there's really no big event. It's all about love. I, I've, I've been to baseball games with my daughters. They, they played t-ball, and they wouldn't keep score. Bless God, I did. And I remember the lady going, we don't keep score. You might not, but I do, because I want to know who won. And I would tell the score, and she'd go, you don't need to say that. Yes, I do. For my own worth, I need to say this. My, now, if my child's winning, losing, I'm not going to tell the score. But if they're winning, I'm going to tell the score. So we get to that, and, and then all of a sudden they have a meeting. Because they have to control these kids. And so I thought it was all over. We're getting ready to leave about five minutes later. And I shared this with you guys. This, this guy gets up in this coach's face. And he's yelling at it because it's his son that said something. And I, I seriously didn't, I, I had to say, okay, I'm a pastor, don't say anything, don't say anything. Because I really wanted to say, now I know where he gets it. But they had to walk out to the, and, and I thought there was going to be a brawl at this game. And it's over a little game where, where they were just trying to correct the boy and no one's going to correct my son. That's dangerous. We sometimes don't show any mercy. And I'm sorry, it doesn't take much of a man to yell at a girl, a girl coach and get in her face and walk while she's walking out. She was scared to death. I was thankful for the guys, the, the, the players on that team, all the men, looked like I would not cross any of them. They all looked like mountain men and they all had beards like Larry, but a lot taller than Larry. I mean, about, some of them were six foot four and they were walking out with that girl and that girl was like, okay, I, I feel okay now. I mean, we, we look at this and sometimes we don't show any mercy. Do we? We don't see much love. You know, we want, we want God's love, but we want to exercise uh, wrath. Aren't you glad we have a God that's balanced? He can show love and He can show mercy. Because look at this verse. Go to verse number um, 13. Thou in thy mercy led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in the strength into thy holy habitation. He sure is a God of love. See, in all actuality, when you say that God is a God of wrath, He's a God of love, depends on which side you're on. Because when He's a God of wrath, to the Egyptians, he's a God of love to the Israelites. You see that? And when he's a God of love to the Israelites, he's got a wrath to the Egyptians again. He knows what he's doing, and he cares for us. So we've got a, he's a God of, of judgment, he's a God of power, he's got a lo love, and I like this, he's a God of preparation. A God of preparation. He takes care of us. So my wife and I went to a young people's party at our first ministry. It was a taco party. We're going to have a Mexican meal. And there was like 15 couples that went, 
10 to 15 couples? We all brought our stuff and we all had an, a, an excellent meal. And then I was thinking afterwards that we went to these people's homes and we figured it out that the people's home we went to didn't provide any food. They had just organized the whole thing. And they were talking about how hard they had worked to get it done, get it done. I thought, no, 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 we, we were working hard at our house getting this all done. But the preparation was done and the meal was finished. God knows how to prepare things and He knows how to finish things. And He always does it in the best interest of us. Keep reading in verse number, go to verse number um, 2. Look what it says here. It says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. He is my God. Now watch this next statement. It says this, and I will prepare him in a habitation. You know what the word habitation means? A place of residence and a dwelling. Now look at verse number two again. Let's look at it. It says, I will prepare him in a habitation. It's talking about how he, they're going to do something for God and show that He's dwelling with them. Now fast forward to verse number 13. Thou in thy mercy hath led forth thy people within thou hast redeemed, and thou hast guided them in the strength unto thy holy habitation. So in the first part He says He's going to prepare His habitation. In the second part He says it's a holy habitation. You know the best habitation to have is a holy habitation. I don't need to live my life dwelling on the negative. I don't need to be mad about everything. I don't need to be, I don't need to exercise wrath all the time. What I need is I need God to live, me to live in God and have that holiness that He has. And through the whole thing, God loves us. So you have the first part of the verse, the, the, chapter 14, where they're just getting out and they're praising God. Chapter 15, the first 20 verses, 21 verses, they're talking about how they got through it and how God blessed them. And then in the next couple of verses, they're complaining about the three days when they didn't have water, something that they needed. But I want to point out one more thing and we'll be done. I want you to look at one more verse and I want you to see this. I want you to go to verse number 16. Why... Do we have to turn things over to God? Have you ever been to the point where you get through something that's major, a major, and, and I, I look out in the, in the congregation, I know some of you are going through things and some of you have went through th some things. There's some surgeries coming up, there's some aspects of your life you don't know how it's going to work out, how this is going to do this, how, th how this is going to work out, but God's in control of the whole thing. And sometimes we're just like the Israelites, we don't know how we can get through the Red Sea, then we get through it. And when it's all said and done, we say that we make this statement. Now what are we going to do? It's almost like when we have a very big day at the church. I wake up on that Monday and go, that's over. Now what are we going to do? You ever been there? Say you've went through something major and you came out on the other side better. But then there's another storm. You know what I'm thankful for? It's God, God has done something for me. See, He is my God. He is my Lord. He's strength, power, salvation, greatness, excellency, glorious holiness. He, he uses His hands, His nostrils, and arms. He's a man of war. He's a God of judgment, God of power, God of love, and God of, God of preparation. 
one of the things I like the most is what he says in verse number 16. It goes in verse number 14. It says, The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestine. Then the dukes of Eden shall be amazed, and the mighty men of Moab, um, trembling, shall take hold upon them, and the land of the Canaan, Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone. In other words, they're going to be scared. They're not going to move. Till thy people pass over, O Lord. Till thy people pass over. Look at the last four words. It did not say which God did for them. It says which what? They have what? Purchased. How did God purchase you? Through His blood. How did He purchase them? Through the flight that they went through. My question to you is, so, when you purchase something, don't you care for it more than if you didn't own it? I was having a meeting with the teachers one day, at our last, last thing, and we were talking about the building, how it needed to be taken care of. You have a lot of kids running through your building, you've got to take care of it. And I told the teachers, I said, listen, you need to prepare and make sure the, the building is, is cleaned up. You can't expect little children to pick up stuff. And they were all like, yes, Pastor White, we need to do that, we need to do that, we need to do that. And they were all, and I just let them brag on themselves how they were going to do it, how they were going to do it. And finally I made this statement. I said, can I ask you a question then? If you're going to do it, how come everybody that walked in this room stepped over paper that was on the floor and no one picked it up? Because once you're concerned and you understand that you've been purchased, you understand who owns you. You understand that even through, though you go through problems and tribulations and trials in your life and you've been through something major and there's something right around the corner, if you understand who purchased you and who owns you, you act different. Right? Do you park your car by cars that you know they don't care about their car? You ever been there? There's been somewhere I go... I'm not parking by that truck. Now, if I drove that truck, I wouldn't be scared to park it anywhere, but I'm not parking by that truck. Because I know that truck's got a very large door, and if it swung over, they wouldn't even care if it hit my Hummer. They wouldn't even care if it hit my truck. They don't care for their vehicle, but you know what? Since it's my vehicle, I care for it. When I purchased it, I cared for it. And when Jesus purchased us, He cares for us. More than we can ever even understand. We might not understand Israel. We might not understand Egypt. But we know one thing, that God purchased Israel. And He promised Israel. And so when He goes in this and He says he's gonna, he, he purchased them, He was going to take care of them. Doesn't mean when you purchase something, it's always perfect. Right? You ever purchased something and found out it wasn't good? I remember I purchased a washing machine once and about a month later it wasn't working. So we called Lowe's, and of course, Lowe's sold it to me, but Lowe's said, listen, this is not our problem. You have to call the manufacturer. Praise God for that. Call the manufacturer. They come in, they look at it, and I'll never forget the first words out of his mouth when he walks in my house. He goes, oh, you got one of those. You know what? When I bought my thing at Lowe's, it didn't say, hey, buy one of these. You'll enjoy it later. 
when you purchase something, you know what? You want it to last. You care for it. God purchased us. He purchased you. And right now they're running on a high. But it only takes 21 verses for them to see the negative. Don't be the negative. My mom would always say, don't be ne- negative Nelly. I want you to be positive Patty. If your name's Nelly in here, I'm sorry. But that's what my mom used to say. I want to stay on the positive. There's always something negative. But our God sure is strong, isn't he? Sure does care for you. Sure does love you. He is a God of wrath and he's a God of love. But he's also a God of preparation. He knows exactly what you need every step of the way. So when you go through these highs and you go through these lows, be steady. The problem with people that are so emotional, and I found this through ministry, the ones that are always up here, the problem is is when they go low, they go just as low as they were high. You know what God wants us to be, Bernard? He wants us to be that steady. So people can look at us and see the rock that we, we, we are formed on. The rock that we were purchased through. He sure does love us, doesn't he? Love the Israelites enough to do one of the biggest miracles in front of them. And to show them that they were safe on the other side. He loves us. Lord, I thank you for your love.